Good morning, team. Um, I was, dare I say it, I was sailing on the Hauraki Gulf 10 days ago with my uh, son and his wife and my daughter and her kids, and we were sailing around Waiheke and for about three, four days. I just thought I'd add that in there, but Mike texted me. Pastor Mike texted me and said, look, um, would you be prepared? I'm away for um, Sunday the 1st of March. Would you be prepared to pick up the, how we're doing the theme on the various aspects of the cross and what it affords us? And I said, absolutely. And uh, here we are. Um, we've been looking at over the last few weeks, in fact, I think four or five weeks, we've been um, working through the message of the cross and various aspects of it we looked at. I think the first week was the the wisdom and power of the cross. We've looked at forgiveness that is afforded us by the cross. We've looked at the shame of the cross. And last week, um, which was fortunate I wasn't doing it, it's a bit deeper than I'd, it was the atonement, which is kind of a bit of a balancing act in terms of study. But today, I'm going to be speaking on the gift of the cross, which is a whole lot easier than the atonement. Um, I'm chuffed to be, or thrilled to be, for for those who aren't born in the 50s. Um, I'm thrilled to be dealing with this particular one, the gift of the cross. And more so, I think, uh, because last week, Mike brought up a reference from a guy called John Stott, who was a great theologian through from about, well, he was born in the early 1900s and died in the early 2000s. And um, he had a lot of influence on Christendom over those years and was a well-respected man. And one of the things he said, which Mike highlighted last week, was in reference to the cross, it is an appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. So it's all about him and nothing about us, and yet it was his means of reconciling us back into relationship. And we had to do nothing but believe on him and receive him, and it's a free gift, just mind-blowing. And it wasn't like someone had to twist the arm of God to get this thing happening for us. He so loved you and I that he was prepared to sacrifice his son, the pure, holy, righteous, spotless lamb, as the scriptures refer to him, for our grubbiness and our rebellion and our disinterest. And all we have to do in response is receive that, respond to that and say, whoa, thank you for that gift, Lord. And it was a gift. He wasn't coerced into it. It was a plan. And... um, It's an amazing thing. And as I've read through various scriptures this week in preparation and and looked at, I must admit that I had a look this week at a couple of near-death experiences online. Now, there's some real quite crazies out there and some near-death experiences that you've got to wonder, where on earth did those people go? But the vast majority are of real experiences that people had on the, the point of death. And one that really struck me was by uh, from a, a woman who had been a kayaker, and she and her husband were great kayakers, and they went down to southern Chile to, um, to uh, paddle some rivers down there, and she drowned, long story short. And her experience, she was a nom- well, not a nominal Christian, but she'd been brought up, up a Christian. She is a spinal surgeon, so she was no idiot. 
And um, her experience, which reflects really a lot of experiences you hear of, was one of overwhelming sense of love. I mean, even folk that didn't have previous faith have a near-death experience, and whether they make it eventually or not is neither here nor there. They get a sense, overwhelmingly, of a almost a tangible love sensation. And God so loved the world. Our verse today is one with which we're all familiar. I know that I learned it as about a four-year-old. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have an everlasting life. And in essence, that is the gospel message compressed into one verse, isn't it? So we could start our whole evangelism program based around that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, as in begotten means born son. We are all sons and daughters by adoption, but he is the one and only son per se. That whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a gift. This is the creator of the universe. This is the God that put the heavens in place. I do watch a bit of YouTube. Um, I watched a documentary on um, the Hubble Space Telescope. And they were filming a particular solar system, which is many, many light years away. And they were saying the width of the solar system is 3,000 light years. Now, we know how fast light travels, incredibly fast. But you can imagine how far that would, light would travel in a year and multiply that by 3,000. That's a huge expanse, and it is but one feature of the universe. And this is the guy, not the guy, sorry, Lord, that's inappropriate, but this is the individual who created all that, the God of majesty, the God of creation, the God of the universe. And what is his plan? He hatches a plan where his pure, spotless, righteous, holy, unblemished son is crucified on the cross and is raised from the dead. So God, who is wrath, has his wrath uh, directed at us, as it were, and rightfully so. He puts into place a plan wherein he sacrifices his son that we can just believe that to be so, and we get a free pass. Isn't that kind of mind-blowing? That we are that important to God, his overwhelming love towards him, towards us, rather. John 1, 12 and 13 says, To as many, or but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons or daughters or children of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So as many as received him, we believe in him, we accept what he did, his sacrifice for him, that he was brutally put to death and joyously raised from the dead, that we might have life and we might have an abundancy of that life, a fullness in that life, a joy in that life. It's just still mind-blowing. He wants relationship with us. Of all that vast 
universe, of all that vast space, he wants relationship with you and I, his creation. So he gifts us the life of Jesus Christ. He gifts us his son. No ifs, buts, maybes. John 10.10 says, I have come that you may have life. Sorry, this thief comes not but to steal, to kill and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So fullness of joy is ours if we just believe, if we receive. And I challenge any one of us in here this morning who have come to faith. I know that in preparation of this, I've been looking at my own life and thinking how, how much for granted I take what Christ did for us. You know, the stuff I do along the way, I just kind of ignore the fact that this God creator of the universe gave his spotless, blemishless son to die a wicked, horrible death for us that we might have life. Yes, he was raised victorious, and that is the miracle that he raised from death to life. But we but have to believe, and it's a free gift. And so often we do need reminding, and that's what I want to do essentially this morning, is just to remind ourselves that this was not an obligation God had towards us at all. He could have said, they're rubbish, we'll get rid of them and try something else. But he loved us, and so he hatched this plan that would bring us eternal life and eternal relationship with him. Just amazing. Just mind-boggling. Let's read. I want to read that full portion, actually, from John 10, from uh, verse 9, because it's, um, it's a great portion of Scripture. 10, 9 through to about 18, I think. Yes. The thief only comes to steal, to kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, and this is Jesus speaking because it's in red, um, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, The man runs away because he is about a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am, says Jesus, the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. And this is the key. No one, I mean, it it appears like it's a tragedy, doesn't it, in the scriptures? It appears like, oh dear, how sad. But in reality, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father... So we have to understand in, in all of that amazing, that amazing situation, if you like, that it wasn't, he, God wasn't coerced into making this happen. 
He did it of his own free will. He gifted it. He thought it was a good idea. And what I want to challenge you this morning, team, is to re-evaluate, rethink about the commitment we have made historically. And just be reminded again afresh that Christ, the Son of the living God of the universe, laid down his life that we might have reconnection with him. Just incredible. Just incredible. If we meditated on that, the longer we meditate on it, the more mind-blowing it becomes, quite frankly. Hebrews 9.22 says, According to the law of Moses, almost everything is purified with blood. It's an unusual concept, but that's the way it is. According to the law of Moses, everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no, one of the scriptures say, no remission from sin, or there is no forgiveness. So we see right throughout the scriptures that for whatever reason, that the shedding of blood is important for us to gain forgiveness. We see it start with Adam and Eve when they rebelled. They realized suddenly they were naked. Obviously an issue for them. And um, so God slaughters some animals and they are will- he clothes them with the, the furs and the, the pelts of the animals. So their blood is shed for their salvation, if you like, their covering. And then we see it again, Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel was, as I understand it, was a, a farmer per se, and so when he sacrificed to God and made an offering, he would sacrifice an animal to God. Cain was more of a gardener, and he would sacrifice some vegetables, I'm assuming. And God found Abel's sacrifice more pleasing than he did Cain's. Again, the whole shedding of blood. We look at Moses and the children of Israel moving out of uh, out of Egypt, and the foreshadowing that that holds for us. Essentially, they had to kill a spotless lamb and put the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, and the spirit of death would pass over them, as we recall the story, all foreshadowing what Jesus was going to do here and what God was gifting us all the way down from eternity. 1 Corinthians one eighteen says, For the message of the cross, for those who are perishing... The message of the cross is foolishness. And if we look at it in any sort of logical, natural headspace, we would say, man, that sounds like an unusual plan, to say the best. But to those of us who are being saved, it is God's power to save us. Isn't it incredible? Not a plan that we would have probably even remotely considered in and of ourselves, but it was God's plan the creator of the universe, the man, is, the individual who's got it all together and knows everything from the beginning to the end. And he knew that this would be the point of reference for us, that if we responded to what he did with the sacrifice of Christ, we would be back into relationship with him. Just great. Just great. So I want to have a look also then at Acts 22, if you've got your Bible or if it's, I don't even know if it's on the overhead, Acts 22, sorry, Acts 2, verse 22. And then remember, this is Peter. Um, he's, he was the one that denied Christ. He was the scaredy cat. And um, he was, the Spirit of God came upon him and he became bold. 
Remember that? And he gets up and he preaches, and I think in the first day, 3,000 folk were saved. But in his address to them, if we look at Acts 2.22, Peter in full flight here. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miraculous wonders and signs, which God did amongst you through him, as you yourselves know. You're aware of this, guys. This man was handed over to you by God, God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So we see again, it reconfirms and, and, and re, well, reconfirms that Peter saw that it was a, the free will thing. It was a gifting. It wasn't an obligation. It was a gifting to save us. So to go back to the verse that we started with, John 3.16, I'm going to take a few liberties with that. John 3.16, for God, the all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipotent, loving, just, powerful, creator of the universe, righteous and holy, so loved you and I that he gifted the life of his son. He gave the life of his son. Faultless, flawless, sinless, righteous, pure, his only created son, begotten in some languages, in some versions that whoever believed and accepted the nasty death and the joyous resurrection of him shall have eternal life. It's that simple. God put the plan in motion. He fulfilled it. And all we have to do is say, Lord, that's phenomenal. And I do say, Lord, that's phenomenal this morning. Let's stand and take a moment, and I want to pray with us, and just so that we can do feel free to stand, by the way. It's not an order, but testing. I just want to pray with us that something of the power of, of the fact that the creator, God, the, the being who put the universe into place, so loved us, so loved us, his creation, that he put this program in play that we might have eternal relationship with him just by acknowledging and saying, Lord, I've blown it, and only by your son can I be reconnected to you. Lord, I do pray that for the team here this morning, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that um, at this time running into Easter, where we think on the cross and the, 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 the critical component it plays, the critical role it plays in salvation and in our very belief system, that, Lord, as we approach Easter, that we again think of you, that we refresh our thinking, we, re, we meditate, as it were, upon what you did for us and on our behalf. Jesus, you went willingly, the scriptures say, to the cross. You went willingly from the heavenly realm to utter destruction, but then resurrection. And Lord, we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you for the gift that you were, Jesus that we might have abundancy of life, that we might have eternal life, that we might have an abundancy, a fullness, a joy, a peace in our lives because you initiated and thought, great idea, 
Lord, we thank you. We pause. We think on this this morning. We say, whoa. Goodness me. Well done, my God. Well done, my God. Incredibly well done for us to have an opportunity to reconnect with you. We lay our lives afresh this morning down before you, Lord. Each of us here says, reveal more of you, more of your plan, more of your purpose in our lives. Lord, I pray for every family here that this year, as we run into Easter, there will be a sharpening of focus upon what you did for us, the reality of the liberty that we have, the freedom that we have from sin, from those things that would easily beset us, and that we are liberated because you were crushed and rose again. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for every individual here that we, over the next few weeks, will have a real sharpening, as I have said, of our understanding of what the significance of the cross is. Pray your blessing upon these people in Jesus' name. Amen.